Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. This is an exciting podcast. <laughs> Dr. Ravello, are you excited? I am super excited. Here with me, as always, Dr. Millicent Ravello, to talk today about our new series, the Plastic Surgery 101 series of podcasts. Bringing it back to the basics, everything you need to know about what we do in plastic surgery. So we've been doing this podcast for three years now. Yes. And we have covered an entire breadth of plastic surgery. There are still topics out there that we haven't touched on, but we've covered just about everything. And a lot of what we've covered, we've gone into very specific depths and specifics on specific separate podcasts. And what we want to do is sort of just bring it back to some of the original um, basic plastic surgery procedures that we do because we did most of those in the very beginning of this podcast and so people would have to like scroll through three years of podcasts to find those <laughs> that's true and so we we're kind of going to start over a little bit but not really i think as we touched on with the recent podcast things change so quickly in plastic surgery so there is a solid chance that the things that we say today about breast augmentation might be a little bit different than the things we said three years ago about breast augmentation yeah i mean it changes rapidly that's right. why we go to all these courses and stay updated and you know yeah. we were just in las vegas at a course mm -hmm. and and there were things that are new and there are new consents we have to use and there's oh, yeah. a patient checklist and a black box warning and there's all this stuff that keeps coming around and then some of it goes away oh you don't have to do that anymore now you have to do this right. so yeah it changes you cannot sit there and just say to yourself we are gonna you know live and die by what we learned as residents it is so like what i learned as a resident in the stone age is <laughs> dramatically different. obsolete at this point. it is it's obsolete yeah. and so now doing this plastic surgery 101 series we're going to start with breast augmentation today but we're going to go through everything we're going to go through facelifts lipo like you name it right. and we're going to bring bring home the basics for people uh yeah, and and as always, we, we always dive deep somewhere along the way. I know. We get a little off track, and then we have to like bring it back in. But we're really going to try to just stick to the basics here with breast augmentation, what you need to know, a primer. So, so let's do it. Yeah. So, I mean, first things first, the patient that comes in for a breast augmentation these are the things that your surgeon is going to ask you because they are pertinent to what you want to achieve. Number one, what size breasts do you currently have? Number two, do you have a history of childbirth, pregnancy, breastfeeding? Number three, do you have a history of weight loss? Number four, do you have any other medical problems? Number five, what is your desired goal? What are you looking to achieve? Yeah, and it, I think one of the things, too, for our listeners to kind of understand in that medical history is, is there a family history of breast cancer? Is it, that's huge. Family history of breast cancer. Um, when was your most recent mammogram? If you were of mammogram age, have you ever had an abnormal mammogram? Everyone has a little bit of a different recommendation. Um, I think there's, so there's different societies that recommend mammograms at different ages, but I think in general, 40-ish is when most w women with average risk factors will start getting mammograms. 
I start having any of my patients over age 35 who are going to have breast surgery get a mammogram. And that's only because I'm so much in the breast reconstruction space and I'm seeing breast cancer being diagnosed earlier and earlier in patients. And what I don't want is to go in and do a breast surgery, rearrange the breast, cut through breast tissue, only to find out that that patient had an active cancer and now I've potentially dispersed the cancer you know, throughout the breast. So these are the things that we need to make sure we clear before we do any breast surgery. So yes, that is why personal and family history is very important for breast surgery. So once you have that information kind of pulled together, you know, how big do you want to be? I always say, and by the way, grab some photos, photos. of breasts that you like. Super, super helpful because if you come in and tell me you want to be a 32D and then you show me a, a picture of someone who is like a 32H, I'm like, Okay, well, that's helpful to know because those are two very different things in my mind. Um, So photos just sort of make everything an even playing field. I know what you're referencing. You know what you're referencing when we throw around these very arbitrary bra sizes. Yeah, because, I mean, bra sizes are definitely not necessarily breast sizes because the bras fit a certain way. And that is affected by your back and your Mm -hmm. shape of your chest wall and the the way that the right. material sits on your like there's and, so many things that have nothing co- to do with yeah. like the way that your breasts are going to look right and the company I mean Victoria's Secret notoriously upsizes so yes. everything you know it's just that's why pictures are super helpful to give us an idea of what it is that you are looking to achieve right and then we're going to talk to you about uh, the what's possible uh, with your operation and so having those photos, we can say, yes, that's happening, or no way that's not happening, or you have right. a tuberous breast deformity that you didn't even know that you had. Right. That's you know why you're here, and we have to talk about how we're going to fix that. So there is a lot that goes into the consultation where we're, we're going to spend time examining you, talking to you, looking at all the possibilities, taking measurements. We're going to measure the base mm-hmm. width of the breath of the breast we're going to measure the distance from the nipple to the inframammary fold which we just did the podcast Mm -hmm. of the what the imf (laughs) and uh the inframammary fold is very important and how we're going to manage that that aesthetic unit that space where the breast meets the chest wall those are things that we're going to talk about with you a lot so that we can show you what kind of result we think we can get for you basically through description and, and referencing your photos because right. I, I don't think computer imaging for the breast is, is reality. It's not as helpful because, I mean, that, that exam that you just went through is so critical. Having the surgeon able to feel the tissues, see how loose or how tight they are, do those measurements, which are so important because that's when we can really tell you, yes, this is a, not a chip shot, but yes, this, we can achieve this with a, you know, primary breast augmentation or no, maybe you need a lift with it or you have that tuberous breast. We're going to have to do a little more work. So looking at what you want to achieve with the photographs and then doing the physical exam, we will be able to put together a plan for you to achieve what it is you're looking to do. And then that's usually when the topic or the discussion comes up of where we're putting the implants, what kind of implants we're going to use. And the basics of that are, are they subpectoral, which means under the pectoralis muscle, or over the muscle, which is considered subglandular. And in very rare cases, will I do a subglandular breast augmentation? 
the rare exception for me in my practice is a tubular breast, which may be not tubular, tuberous, tuberous breast, which may benefit from a subglandular position. But even then, I try to not if I can help it, just because that placement has a little bit higher risk of visibility, of rippling, and of capsular contracture. So if I can get the implant under the pectoralis, that's just a safer place for it to be. How do you feel about subfascial? Placement. You know, I is am. That, is that a thing, or is that just a? I'm a ambivalent pipe dream? <laughs> about the subfascial. Subfascial means that it's a different place, so it's over the muscle, but it's lifting up the fascia or the connective tissue covering of the muscle, which in the most developed of bodybuilders is maybe a couple millimeters in the average person it's like a millimeter and the idea is that you are walling off the implant from the subglandular space so it's not touching breast tissue directly and theoretically decreasing the risks of everything we talked about the rippling and the capsular contracture rates but you're not going under the muscle I, you know, I, I, the thing is, I feel like it's very polarizing. People that do subfascial do it a lot and they swear by it. The rest of us just don't do it. <laughs> so I don't do it. I can't really speak to it. The people I know that do it seem to think it's great, but I, I don't know a lot of people that do it. I do it in bodybuilders and, uh, and, right. and I, I, I do it. I, I like it. I think it is different than subglandular and I, I've kind of, I've kind of had really good experiences with that okay. approach. So I can't, you know, I, I, you know, I like to bash techniques that, <laughs> that I think suck. So <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm I definitely think... the guy that's like, that doesn't work. That sucks. Stop. You know, and, but at the same time, like I can't, I can't bash it. I have a lot of um, bodybuilders that this is like a, a section of my practice is, right. you know, these women who really, they pump some iron man they are right. not messing around and, and that they would be, don't want they don't want the motion that's the one population that i think would benefit from subfascial um unfortunately they usually have very little breast tissue so they don't have a lot of breast tissue to cover an implant if it sits over the muscle but because they do so much work with their pectoralis they also can't have that implant moving around under the muscle. Right. And that's what's called animation deformity. In the average person, the average cosmetic patient, the animation deformity is not a big deal. Like it moves a little bit when you do your chest presses or if you do a push-up or something like that, but it's not distracting, it's not noticeable, and it's not a big deal. In people who have had breast reconstruction, meaning they have no breast tissue, or bodybuilders who are kind of a different population as well, that animation deformity can be very obvious and very disturbing. So for that reason, yes, we, you can talk about subfascial. But otherwise, for the average person, at least in my practice, they're getting subpectoral under the, the muscle implants. My go-to is silicone. You have the option of silicone or saline. And I have some patients that come in and say, you know, I just I don't want to have to worry about a silicone rupture. I know it's, you know... Not that big a deal, but I just don't want to have to ever worry about it. I would feel more comfortable with saline. Great, fine. Um, but unless it's a patient that really is advocating for it, I just generally do silicone. Silicone's the way to go. And there are all different shapes and sizes of silicone. I don't use anatomics. I've, I do not use I think I anatomics. did three anatomic breast augmentations when I was a resident back in Pittsburgh, and I uniformly disliked all of them. Right. The anatomics are the tier... tier, tier 
teardrop teardrop shaped shaped implants do you know why they're shaped like tears because they make you cry (laughs) that's why i i know that's why they shaped them like that because you're gonna cry about your results they're not yeah they're not cute i mean i the idea was well-intentioned that you can make these implants that sort of mimic a natural breast which has more volume at the bottom less at the top kind of give you that scooped out natural breast shape but in reality that's just not how they actually look and the way they actually look is a little weird. They're kind of tall. They have kind of a funny shape to them. <laughs> Ridiculous. And, and they're textured, which is not a, you know, that's a whole other podcast, textured versus smooth implants. But You have done that podcast, by the right, way. I so, think that, that came up. Yeah. The, the type of but. implant choice that, that you were going to choose, I would definitely look up our implant podcast because it is a whole podcast going through implant choices and what the options are. Um, Again, in my practice, average patient gets a smooth, round silicone implant of a medium cohesivity, which means that it has a little bit of firmness to it, but not the most firm, cohesive gummy bear implant that's out there because those generally are reserved for reconstruction and are really heavy. So I kind of like the mid-range, cohesivity, smooth, round silicone implant. I agree 100% on that. I do not like the overly cross-linked silicone gel. That's really not even a gel. It's kind of like a, it's like rubber. It's like a silicone, like, ball. Yeah, it is. It's like like the cheek implants or something. They're really rubbery. They they remind me like when I was growing up we had this uh, doll called Stretch Armstrong <laughs> and you could take one arm like my brother and I would try to like rip this thing apart and you couldn't do it so you just take one one takes one arm the other guy takes the other arm you try and pull apart the, these implants feel like Stretch Armstrong they do and they are very <laughs> firm and they are very hard um, I used one just the other day for a breast reconstruction patient because she was super super thin and I knew that whatever I put in her she was going to show rippling of the implant so I chose the most cohesive implant I could to hopefully prevent that but outside of that population I don't use it in my cosmetic patients really much at all so that's so, that's the, so those are the implants and we will go through that whole talk when you come in for your implant breast augmentation. But once you sort of, you know, determined exactly what kind of implant you want or you're going to have and we've sort of honed in on the size. Let, let's go back to the size again real quick because I do have patients that come in and they will say, "I want a 400cc implant. My friend had a 400cc implant and I want my breast to look like hers." It really doesn't work that way because no. <laughs> a 400cc implant on a five foot two, 100 pound girl may give her H size breast, where a 400cc implant on a five foot seven, 130 pound female may give her like a C cup. Yeah. So it really is based on your height, your weight, your base width, how much breast tissue you have naturally. If you have a decent amount of breast tissue already, you don't need a really big implant to get you really large. In fact, sometimes that's actually a problem. It's like, gosh, you know, if I just do a lift and put a tiny implant in you, you're going to be huge. So how much breast tissue you come with, all of that factors in and determines what your final size is going to be. So don't get hung up on the CCs. Don't go down a rabbit hole of like CCs and this is what I need to get the look I want. Because you may be right. You may get on the right track with that. But showing the photos to your plastic surgeon who does this all day, every day, I guarantee you they know what size implant you need. And if you just tell them and show them the look you want, 
they will be able to guide you with what's going to work for your body. Yeah, and it's about the look too. Yeah. It's not. It's the the what kind of look do you want? Like I sometimes will say, do you want this to be, you know, something subtle and demure? Do you want it to be something that's like, you know, wow, that really looks fantastic? Or do you want, you know, people to crane necks to you know, get a look? <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a and spectrum, there's a range. And, and all of them were fine, and all of them right. were great. But you just have to communicate what the look is. Again, going back to why you bring in photos because it's like. Oh, okay, oh, oh, that's the look we're going for. Got, Got it. it. Got it. But you do have to communicate what that is because that is where we go back to our implants because we didn't even talk about the profiles of implants. You can have low, high know, profile, moderate, high, extra high, and all of that's going to determine the final look of the breast. And that's going to be a discussion that you have with your surgeon based on the ultimate look you want. And that's why... Again, that was a whole podcast, Implant Choices, because it, it is. Um, but that being said, you know, just show the photos to your plastic surgeon of what you want and then sort of trust that they know what implant is going to work for you. So I remember the first time I asked a patient to show me photos, was I, I was a resident in Pittsburgh, and this uh, patient was like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll bring in the pictures that my husband and I really like. Mm-hmm. And this gal brought in the hardest core porn I think oh, I've geez. ever seen in my life of some of these <laughs> actors that she really liked. And I was like, <laughs> I just like went red. And she was like, oh, I really like these. And she was like, that one. And I was like, okay, wasn't ready for that. But, uh, but that's helpful. Thank you. What is Thank that you device, by the way? I need to, I, I have to wrap my head around. Okay, got it. No problem. I just... I, I can't unsee any of this, and I will make you some very large breasts. Got the message. Done. Right. Message received. <laughs> it was like crazy. I, I, I mean, you know, I'm not a bashful guy, but I was like, okay, whatever. Uh, and then the other story that uh, this one other patient said to me, whatever you do, I don't want to look like a porn star. And I was like, okay. So I made her these beautiful breasts, 400 cc's, whatever, five foot five gal. And like six months after, she was like, Remember when I said I didn't want to look like a porn star? I was like, yeah. She's like, I kind of want to look like a porn Aww. star. So can we upgrade these? <laughs> so we, we had to go bigger. But, you know, it's like everybody's got a different idea. I mean, some people just want to fill out their breast tissue to the way they were before they had babies. Some yeah. people want to, you know, have just a little bit more to kind of make their hips and their chest match because they feel they're a little wider down right. down here and they want something and up here to make the clothes yeah. and the proportion. So whatever it is. You know, go for it. Just explain it. Talk, talk it out. You know, show the photos of what you're thinking about. And then we can at least dial the, you know, we can titrate the size of those implants and the placement and how they're going to look. You know, I want more cleavage. I want this one. Those are all great discussion points for your consultation. And then obviously when you go to surgery, you know, we want to like knock it out of the park for you. Right. And the way I do it is I order a range of implants. We have a consignment here, so we actually have the whole range of implants. But I usually go in with an idea of like three or four sizes that I think are possible. Usually the one that I'm thinking in my head is the one I end up using. But I, I, I like options. So I, I order a bunch and then we literally try them on. So implants come with what's called sizers. Sizers are exactly what an implant is but they're not designed to be as durable or robust or whatever i don't know how the company makes them they're they're actually just implants that they don't that they they're normal implants they just don't uh basically put them through the process of 
making them ready for implantation. For but it's the same exact thing. Implantation. They're not designed to stay in, in permanently, right. but they are the exact same implant that you would otherwise get. And so we, you know, make our dissection, we do our surgery, we open up the space, and then we put these sizers in and sit the patient up, take a look, and kind of look at the photos and be like, oh, I think that's too big, that's too small. We try right. on some other ones. And we can actually get a real-time idea of, of what the implants are going to look like. And then once we get the one that closest approximates what the patient wants, then those are the implants we choose, take the sizers out, put the permanent implants in. And... For the breast augmentation patients, from a recovery standpoint, it's not bad. You know, I would say two, three days of just chest pressure, if this is a primary augmentation, right. the first time you've had implants placed, that's because if we're lifting up that muscle and going under the pectoralis, it's sore, it hurts, it stretches, it's uncomfortable, but it's not awful. It's not the worst thing in the world. Most patients do fine. And after two, three days, pain subsiding, they're coming off the pain medicine, and for patients that have desk jobs, light duty, virtual type jobs, they can be back to work as you know, soon as three days, three days to a week, I think is very reasonable. No heavy lifting, no strenuous exercise for six weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's the key. I mean, you want to, you want to kind of plan out to have this done. Um, you want to have a good communication with your surgeon about what, what it is that you want. And then I want to add one point about breast asymmetry Hmm. uh, because this is a, how we, so all breasts are different. There are no two breasts that are the same. Even the two that come on our patients together are different. The right one's different than the left. Always different. Always different. They're different in volume. They're different in shape. The nipple might be pointing this way on one side, this way on another one. Yeah. So the thing is, you don't always notice that before surgery. But you're definitely going to notice after. You're going to notice it after. For two reasons. Number one, breast augmentation, breast implants will enhance whatever symmetry is already there. That is true. Number one. Number two, you're now going to be staring at your breasts all the time in the mirror. I just had the cutest patient. I did her breast like six weeks ago. And she came in today and she's like, after I come home from work every day, I take off my bra and I just look at my breasts. <laughs> every day. So I want to make sure nothing's going wrong. <laughs> Well, you know, she's into it. That's so good. So she, she, you become very obsessed with your breasts in the beginning, and you'll be looking at them a lot. And so you will now notice any asymmetries between the two. And they were there before, but you just weren't looking at your breasts every day to that degree of scrutiny. Yeah, and, and so how you deal with it, you know, I mean, obviously if it's a large discrepancy, we're going to have to use two different size implants. Yeah. But if it's a mild discrepancy in size and shape, I just tell patients I'm going to use the same size breast implants and the asymmetry that you have will be your asymmetry. Right. And and I try not if it's, you know, 25 cc differences and 50 cc differences really turn out to then look like two different breast implants. Right. I I don't love that. I know. Unless you come in with a breast that's like a full half to a cup size different than the other. Then you have to. I'm really not going to be doing different size implants. I think the last patient I had different size implants were significantly different. Like I think I did a 500 on one side and like a 700 on the other. And they look the same. Like that's how different she was. But doing like a 350 and a 385 it's not worth it. No, and, and you will see that the breast implants are different. I breasts, swear to they God. They are because I, just, they are wider. They are taller when they are different sizes. And so it's going to change the shape of the breast to a more unnatural degree than the natural asymmetry you already have. Yeah, and I, and I 
typically will explain that to patients just because they need to they need to hear it and you know the the human body's just not symmetric we i referenced the the nostril asymmetry podcast right. i mean there's we talk about facial asymmetry on multiple podcasts about facelifts you know these are things that we deal with and in fact at our journal club last night we were saying you know all right everybody which side of the face is usually smaller left you know like right. we those things we know that's why i sit uh, on this side of the couch <laughs> <laughs> you can see that's my right, right side <laughs> my, my there's no good side for my face it makes absolutely no difference so i just sit right here um but that's the thing with, with breast augmentation you want to have a clear path to a really good result you know, knowing that there can be issues there, you know, any operation has complications that you have to deal with. And that's why you pick, uh, you pick a great surgeon because you, you find out how good your surgeon is when there are problems, when everything goes right, it's easy to say, Oh, my surgeon's the best. But when there are problems, that's when you really learn who your surgeon is and how good they are for you. Right. And there are always problems. The complications that you can have after a breast augmentation usually are pretty um, rare and not that common. Right away after surgery, there's always a chance of bleeding. If you have enough bleeding and blood collects around the implant, that's an immediate return to the OR. Yes. Find what's bleeding. Usually you can't find what's bleeding, but you wash out whatever blood is there and then put a nice clean implant back in. Because if you don't and you leave that blood to collect around the implant, you will have constant problems with that breast from a healing standpoint. It will always look different. The skin will be more stretched out. You may get an infection because the blood harbors bacteria. And then worst case scenario, you may have capsular contracture on that side. So from the beginning, bleeding is always a concern. Please don't do any kind of heavy jumping activity. Don't vacuum. Don't have sex. Don't pick up the kids from daycare. Don't put your kid in the crib. Like just... Don't do a lot of heavy physical activity for the first few weeks because you can get bleeding anywhere out to three weeks from surgery. So there's bleeding. Infections, always possible. These are foreign bodies. In a cosmetic patient, I can't remember the last time I had a breast infection. It's just very, very rare rare. for these things to become infected. But it's always possible. And then long-term risk of implants, that's where things get really tricky and complicated. And that's where a lot of the new... Um, consents and discussions that we're having come into play. Always the risk of capsular contracture. That's when the capsule that the body forms around the implant becomes hard and disfigures the breast. That's a whole podcast and discussion on its own. We've done several on that, so just yeah, go just scroll back a go little back ways. Go back and look through that. <laughs> and that can come anywhere from three months to 30 years after yep, placement. for sure. Capsular contracture. And then the ALCL, which is a very, very, very rare form of cancer, only seen in textured implants, which is why we don't use textured implants, but it does exist. That's part of the consent process. And then the new thing right now is BII, breast implant illness, which is a spectrum of diseases and symptoms which have anecdotally been associated with breast implants. So these are all things that we will discuss during your consultation and go through them with you and make sure that you're adequately informed and educated because you now have to sign a special consent for all That's of these. Right. <laughs> the FDA has made it very clear Absolutely. that you have to have a very informed consent process about all of these potential risks. Yeah. 
But the main thing is you're going to get some breast implants and be totally pumped. The main thing is you're going to love your breasts <laughs> afterwards. You know, they don't put that on the consent. <laughs> no. uh, by the way, not responsible for your new ability to party in Vegas right. and to go yeah. to the beach and to so, wear amazing outfits and all the things that just kind of come up for people, which, you know, yeah. we hear about, you know, the renewed self, you know, sense of confidence and how they love their look. It, it's, you know, it's just, it's great. It's not... Uh, you know, it is really for you. You do these operations. Like we can say like, oh, you know, your photos and whatever. Who cares about anybody else? It's for you. People do this so they feel good about themselves. Yep. And that's really what happens. I mean, we hear it over and over again. The, the How they feel like, oh, I just feel so much better. My clothes fit better. I love right. the way that I look. And you don't have to get big, giant no. implants to do this. You can get... You know, just a, a cup size bigger, just to fill out the the, the bra, the, yeah. the bra a bit more, just to balance. I mean, I, I used to do a lot of really larger sized breast augmentations because that's what was in mm-hmm. the styles change. It is not that way today. Mm. I would argue so, there's still are. a so decent amount of okay. people that I'm want fine. really large implants. I have put in eight hundreds twice in the last yes. year. Okay, yeah. Fine. So regional differences. There's just, it, I mean. That, that's the thing choose your flavor choose your style I mean, that's right and you can get whatever you want you want a big you want a small like we got you like just yeah. tell us what you want and we can make it happen the one last caveat I will say I think is very very important for primary breast augmentation patients to know coming in yes you're probably going to love these breasts and yes, you're going to be super happy you did it that being said these devices are not designed to be permanent lifelong devices right. current implants have 20-year warranties against rupture that's how long the companies believe they should last for these are silicone implants before they rupture you will probably need these implants exchanged before 20 years for cosmetic reasons changes in weight pregnancy childbirth hormones you want to be bigger you want to be smaller so usually for some cosmetic aesthetic reason these implants will be swapped out before 20 years You can always take your implants out at any time. Your breasts will not look as good, and they may not even look good, especially if you have very little breast tissue to start out with. So just know that if you're putting in implants for the first time, it's kind of a lifelong commitment to maintaining the implants or maintaining the appearance of the breasts because... This is, you know, it's a life, cha- not life changing, can be life changing, but it is a kind of a permanent change to your body. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the truth. You're going to probably need another operation at some point. At some point for these implants. And you just, you have to know that. Yeah. It's maintenance of the medical device. The operations aren't huge, but they take time and they have expense. They have risks associated with yep. them. All that stuff is very real. We are the last people to sit there and look at any operation as being trivial. There, there is no trivial operation. No. There is no, at no point do you, I ever walk into an operation and be like, oh, it's just a breast og. I know people that do, and that, that is very disturbing to me because it is these disturbing. Are, these, are these are real operations. Real and operations. I don't think a breast augmentation is easy, by the way. No. Every once in a while, you'll get that perfect patient with the perfect nipples and the perfect skin quality where it's straightforward <laughs> but not easy but not easy to get like the result maybe that you know she, you and she have agreed on yeah i mean i think there's so much artistry that goes into making beautiful breasts i mean that's why i mean you look on my on my website there's cleavage galore because i'm <laughs> all about that i have friends who do way more breast augmentation than i do and every one of their before and after photos there's a fist size gap between the the implants 
If I did that over and over again, I would be very disappointed with myself. That's all. It's just not the look that I'm going yeah. for. I don't like armpit breasts. I don't like them wide on the... I am all about the cleavage. So there's... You know, it's just... You've got to look at those galleries. Once again, how are you going to pick your plastic surgeon? Get somebody that's recommended, somebody who's board certified in plastic surgery, and look at the before and afters. If you like the, the office, you like the, the surgeon, you're probably in the right, right. place. Can I just say one note about that cleavage thing? Because that's something that comes up a lot. People are very concerned about having the the gap between the implants. They should be. You can't get cleavage without large breasts. <laughs> there you that's go. That's the problem. You can't come in and say, I want to have cleavage, but I want to have a natural B-cut breast. Right. So give me 200 cc implants on my 5.7 frame. Not right. happening. If you want to have the implants come close together in the center, you're going to have to have a larger implant. That's just part of the deal. Yes, you can't. There's no cleavage with no volume. That doesn't right. work. The right. cleavage comes from so you kind of the appropriate up. volume in the right place right. with the right release of the muscle, with the right placement of the implant, with the right amount of lateral, you know, displacement. You, it, there's, you, you can't just. It's it doesn't happen by magic. There's right. a real, a, a high level, uh, attention to detail, artistry. You know, the proper measurements, the, the level of experience. It's all the things that, that we talk about all the time. In order to really get great results, you've you got to be on that, like white on rice when it comes to getting the right, right answer for your patient. Look at the galleries. Look at the galleries. Look at the befores and afters. That's right. You, you, can, you can go from there because what you see on those galleries is what you are going to get. Yep, so find the look you like, find the surgeon that you really get along with, that you feel comfortable with, and then trust that they will give you what you're looking for. I mean, if you like their work and you show them what you want, then you have to kind of let go and yes. say, I trust that I'm going to get the same results that they've given their other patients, that they understand what I want, and at this point, there is nothing more that I as a patient can do to guarantee a result. I just have to trust that they are going to provide for me what I'm looking for. That sounds about right, Dr. Ravello. I, uh, I'm really happy that we're getting back to basics on the uh, Plastic Surgery 101 train. This is really good. Yep, teeing it off today with the breast augmentation, and we will for sure have more topics to come. In that case, this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. If you like what you heard on the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast and want to get in touch with either Dr. Ravello or myself, this is how to do it. You can reach me at the website, ravelloplasticsurgery.com. You can reach out to the office directly through the website with any questions or consult requests, or you can call the office directly at 310-954-1355. And you can reach me on Instagram at ravelloplasticsurgery. And to reach me, the phone number is 310-777-8800. My website is drcalvert.com, drcalvert.com. Instagram, Dr. J. Calvert. And of course, you may want to check out our YouTube channel for the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast, which is simply that, Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Hope to see you all in the office very soon.